Good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in the presence of Almighty God, those that God has called to come and to worship. And so we give thanks that God has created us and redeemed us in Christ and gathered us in his name. And welcome to all of us joining in person, and also welcome to those who are joining online, that we give thanks to God's spirit that he can connect us and unite us uh, in his power. As we begin, I just want to share a few announcements. Uh, with the order of worship on the inside cover, you see information about the worship service um, and also information about the children's classes. That Today there is um, the preschool class, children's worship, and a third through fifth grade class, and I'll dismiss those kids in just a moment. Uh, also, if you then look at the very back of your order, you'll see a, a list of announcements, um, and these are also part of the church's weekly email. If you would like to receive the email and you don't, you know, you, you can fill out a connect card at the welcome table and give us your information. We'd be happy to, to send you the, the email each week with what's going on in the life of the church. Um, but just want to highlight a couple of things. Uh, on the, the last Sunday of February, uh, we're going to um, have a kind of extended hospitality and fellowship time uh, back at the Rockwell community space and church office. And so we invite you to uh, make the trip over there and have a chance for some bagels and cream cheese and coffee and a chance to spend time together. So that's in a couple Sundays uh, following the service. Also to let you know, we're having an Ash Wednesday service on March 2nd. That'll be at seven o'clock here in the Nazarene Church building. And we are gonna uh, do a, a joint service with the Nazarene uh, Church that will do that together to begin the season of Lent to remember our mortality before God and his grace to us. Uh, I also encourage you to take a look at some of the other things going on. There's a, a Lent class that will start in March. There's a children's communion class. If your child is interested in taking communion or if you feel like that your child's ready for that, uh, I'd love to talk to you. can talk to Melinda or myself, and we'll tell you more about that. And there's also the women's uh, Bible study on Thursday evenings. So uh, take this with you or take a look at the weekly email and, and hope that you can join in, in different ways of connecting and growing in your faith. Well, this time, the children are dismissed for their classes. They can make their way to the back of the uh, sanctuary and head down to the basement. Uh, the preschool and children's worship and third through fifth grade class, they run uh, the whole length of the worship service. Well, as we prepare to come and worship, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 1. Will you stand with us and we'll sing together. Blessed is the Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Everything they do prospers. Blessed is the 
wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. merciful, steadfast God, the one who preserves and sustains our very life, the one who is the rock upon we stand. At your command, the seas rage, and at your command, you calm the roaring waters. Lord God, we come this day seeking to find shelter under your protecting arms and find peace where there are storms rolling through our souls. Gracious Father, we come to acknowledge our lips, sing and speak of your praises, but our hearts are often far from you. 
we struggle to trust you. We come putting on facades and fronts just to get through the next hour because deep down we are truly struggling. We bring deep places in our souls that require your gentle touch of healing, yet we feel that we will not be received by you, O God, and by others. May you meet us here now by your spirit and speak to us through your word. Holy God, may we hear your words calling us to repent and turn from behaviors and attitudes, dispositions and desires that do not reflect your righteousness and your goodness. Where there are violent thoughts and actions against our neighbors, may we repent and turn towards ways of embracing each other in love and understanding. Where we fail to see and hear each other, may we repent and acknowledge that we are far more arrogant than we care to imagine and more blinded by our pride. Like Jonah, we are more prone to see the injustice and wrong of others than to see the injustice that we have caused. Anger and bitterness consume us when we see injustices that we so badly want to fix. Lord, we come bringing all these things before you, you the one who is truly just and truly righteous. Lord God, we lift up those in our community today who are sick, whether struggling with acute sickness or whether chronic sickness. Lord God, we pray that you would draw near to them that you would strengthen their bodies, that you would bring healing and restoration. Lord God, we lift up those who have lost loved ones, whether a family member or a dear friend. Lord God, we ask that you would draw near to them and give them a sense of your peace, that you are with them. And Lord, many of us this day are just bringing our anxiety, our worries, our doubts, our fears, and Lord, we ask that your spirit would draw near to us in these places as well. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship, it is a right and good thing for us to bring forward our, our confessions, those deep places of pain, of guilt, of shame, that are often hard for us even to draw near ourselves. And yet God invites us to draw near there knowing that he will forgive us, knowing that he will receive us. So let us do this first publicly and then uh, privately. Would you join me in prayer? Loving Father, search our hearts and show us the places where we need your forgiveness and your mercy. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, O God. I invite you to take a moment of personal private confession.
Gracious God, we thank you that we no longer have to hide. We no longer have to speak words of contempt against ourselves because in Christ you have forgiven us and you have received us and you have covered us with his goodness and his righteousness. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me and let us say these words of assurance together that come from Psalm 31. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Amen. Let's sing together. The redeemed of the Lord shall return with singing. The redeemed of the Lord shall return. And all sorrow and sighing shall
New, the New Testament lesson comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We have been found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is not true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The gospel lesson is from Luke 6, 17 through 26. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them. And he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your, your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lynn, for reading God's word, and I'm thankful for a chance to, to worship with you and look at scriptures this morning, and we're going to continue in our study of the Old Testament book of Jonah. Um, today we're going to look at chapter 3. And as a way to, before we read our passage, to kind of kind of catch up or get our context, the, the book of Jonah has two scenes, Jonah on the sea and Jonah at Nineveh. And both scenes start the same way. God calls and Jonah responds. The first scene is the, the last two chapters. God calls Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, tell them to repent of their evil. God calls, but Jonah flees. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction, seeking Tarshish to, to get away from God's presence 
And he, we find out later, because he doesn't think the Ninevites deserve a chance to be forgiven. They don't deserve mercy. Well, the trip doesn't go as planned, and Jonah ends up in the belly of a great fish. <laughs> He's been thrown overboard, but in God's mercy, God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. And it's from this strange place we heard in chapter 2 that Jonah calls to the one who first called him. The waters closed in over my, me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I went down to the land whose bars closed forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And the first scene ends with the fish vomiting Jonah out onto the dry land. And that brings us to our passage today in chapter 3, the start of the second scene. What we'll see is that this passage is all about responses. How do those who hear, hear a call or hear a message, how do they respond? So let's look at our passage. This is the last verse of chapter 2 and then 1 through 10 of chapter 3. You can follow in your order or your Bible or just listen as I read. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them all call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as I mentioned, the, the question that our passage asks is, how do those who hear, how do they respond? And so we'll have two parts. First, we'll look at Jonah. How did Jonah respond? And second, how do the Ninevites respond? Jonah, after the Lord speaks to the great fish, finds himself vomited onto the dry land, and God calls him again. God's word comes to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out the message that I give to you. There is a, a New Yorker cartoon that I've always, I've saved and uh, that I think is very funny. Its title is The Horror Stories for Shy People. Horror Stories for Shy People, and it's a series of imagined uh, book covers. The first one is called The Knock at the Door. The second one shows a person calling out to someone else I'll just stop by sometime. 
The third one is called The Milling Hour, and it shows people mingling and having small talk. And the last one is karaoke, anyone? <laughs> Maybe you can relate to those horrors. Why do I mention that? I mention that because it's possible that when we hear this, that God calls Jonah a second time, that it could feel like a horror story to Jonah. Not again, right? Not again. But if we see it that way, if we imagine that Jonah hears this as a horror, as just another call by a taskmaster or someone who's ready to make him learn his lesson, or wonder if he'll ever get it, then if we see it that way, we'd be misreading how it goes. This is not a horror story. It's a new beginning. It's a second chance, a new start. Jonah fled, but God would not let him go, and God calls him again. This phrase a second time is subtle, and we might even miss it, but it is a wonder. It's a wonder of great importance, because it speaks to these questions that we often have within us. Does God grow tired of us? Does God give up in the face of our fears, our hiding, our running? And those questions are present for us, and maybe they even connect to our experience of having people in our lives give up on us. when we hear that God calls to Jonah a second time, it reminds us of words that the Apostle Paul speaks to a weary and discouraged Timothy. Here is a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. I am the worst. I'm someone who can never have made it without God's mercy. But Paul continues, I received mercy for this reason, that in me Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to all who would believe. I need this trustworthy saying, Christ's patience for me. And I imagine that many of us today also need to be reminded and encouraged by this trustworthy saying to take to heart that Jesus came to save sinners and that he has a loving kindness, a patience that is immense and perfect and endless. And what we see in Jonah and hear in these words from the New Testament is that no matter your yesterday, no matter your yesterday, today is the day to hear again God's call. Believe in me, Jesus says. Come unto me, all who are wearied and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Our God, the God who calls Jonah, is the God of new beginnings, the one who calls Jonah a second time. And so what is Jonah's response? He gets up and he goes to Nineveh. Before, Jonah ran away, but this time Jonah obeys the call. In keeping with the author's style, it is concise. There's no mention of the journey, but rather Nineveh is immediately in view, and it's described as an exceedingly great city. And as Jonah goes, though, I imagine he carries with him some of the same concerns and same questions that he had at the beginning. God's calling me, a prophet of Israel, to leave Israel and go to a Gentile city, and not just any Gentile city, but Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, 
an empire that was known to be cruel and violent. How does this make sense? What will one voice do? Am I being foolish? Does not a society that is violent deserve whatever comes its way? Why does God care about this place or these people? Why should I? Yet it's to this place, it's to this people that Jonah fears and hates that God calls him to go. And this time he goes. He goes into the center of Nineveh and calls out the message that God gave him. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In the Hebrew, it's five words. The briefest prophetic announcement in, in the biblical record. Five words. Suggesting to all who hear that this city will be turned upside down, destroyed, that your violence will bring calamity upon you, that even a great city, one full of resources, can be turned upside down and overturned. Well, Jonah's response brings us to the second part of the sermon and the second question of how do the Ninevites respond to Jonah's call. To his shock, the people listened. Now, we might know this story. Some of us might be familiar, so we know that's going to happen. But to imagine the first reading of this, to imagine Jonah's experience, this would have been shocking. He was not dismissed, not mistreated, not imprisoned, not even killed. <laughs> All things that he thought were very likely. The people of Nineveh believed God. They accept the message with seriousness. They take it to heart. They accept it as true. And to express this acceptance, the city from the greatest to the least take a posture of repentance. They fast. They put on sackcloth, the garments of, of grief and lament, to express their sorrow and their need to change. And after this summary statement, the second paragraph in the passage kind of invites us to, to know a little bit more of what happened. It seems likely that Jonah's message created a stir in the city and that the prophet from Israel was invited to an official audience in the king's court. And upon hearing the message, the king of Nineveh steps off of his throne, removes his royal robes, puts on sackcloth, and sits in ashes. The king issues a decree to all the city, all are to fast, all are to put on garments of grief and lament, and all are to call out to God. And you see how he tells them that the announcement, the proclamation, let everyone, let everyone turn from your evil ways, turn from the violence that is in your hands, and who knows, maybe God will have mercy upon us. And as we reflect on this response, this amazing response of the Ninevites repenting, there's two quick questions that we could ask. First, what is God concerned about? This is a chance for you and I to, to see what the God of the universe is concerned about. And it's violence. Violence. This word refers to physical violence, for sure, but it also carries the, the broader connotation of cruelty, of bearing false witness, of violent words against another. 
of hatred, of ruthlessness, of a disregard and a harshness towards another human being. And it's a chance for us in this moment to, to be reminded that the scriptures are deeply concerned about violence against those made in God's image. Just in the book of Psalms alone, in this prayer book of God's people, 15 times violence is directly addressed, prayed about, lamented. People call out for help, ask for protection. They long for God to judge and condemn violence. In Psalm 7 in particular is the cry, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all who pursue me, lest like a lion they tear my life apart, rendering it in pieces, leaving me forgotten and disregarded. So our God is concerned with how we and our fellow humans are treated the second question that helps us think about this is who's responding? Who's turning? Just a reminder of things we've already said, that this is a Gentile nation known for their harshness and power. And they are the ones who hear and believe and repent. And this language is not a language of a deal you know, if we do certain things, then God must act a certain way towards us. But rather, it is an honest acknowledgement of evil and violence and a hope for mercy. It is a telling on ourselves. It's one way to think about this turn of repentance, that there is something beyond self-interest, beyond social assumptions that can speak to us and call us to something that is real and true and righteous. It's interesting, we ask who turns, that Jesus, again, he talks about Jonah in Matthew 12, along with talking about the sign of Jonah. He speaks about the Ninevites. Jesus says that the Ninevites will stand up and give evidence that will condemn this generation. He was speaking to the crowds. Because when Jonah preached to them, they listened and they repented. Behold, one far greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah and Jesus is inviting us to see these Ninevites as a model, as a witness, as a testimony to you and to me about the significance of hearing and responding. It's interesting that another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, gave a very similar announcement, not to a Gentile nation, but to the city of Jerusalem. If you don't change your violent ways, you will be destroyed. Instead of being heard, he was arrested, imprisoned, and called a traitor. And we know the story of Jesus himself, that when he announces the kingdom of God, he too is arrested, put to death as a traitor. It's hard to hear. It's hard to respond to hard words. But I can't help but think for us as we reflect on the Ninevites and their example to us that we too live in a great city, that we too live in a violent city where many are torn to pieces and forgotten. Like the Ninevites, we too live in a powerful nation 
one that has an ongoing history of being violent or harsh, especially to those deemed other or that they don't really belong. So this example is a chance for you and me with grief and lament to turn, to let us turn from violence towards those near to us or those far and embrace a love for our neighbors. Let that begin with the household of God. Let us turn from harshness and cruelty to love one another as Christ has loved us, beginning with us, the followers of Christ. For when God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said would come, and he did not do it. For God sees and moved in pity, has mercy upon them. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are and your graciousness to us in Christ. I pray that you soften our hearts that we may hear and that you may turn us in new ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us, please, and we'll sing together.
Almighty God, at your command, all things came to be, and you continue to sustain all things by your power. Yet you are near to us, even though we have rebelled against you. Your mercy is like a stream that never fails, and you have promised that nothing can separate us from your love. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. Uh, during this time, we're participating in communion through package elements. If you are a follower of Christ and taking communion today, uh, if you need one of these, just raise your hand, and Pastor Brian has some that he can pass out. Great. Well, if you are taking communion, I invite you to go ahead and prepare the, these elements. You can open those. Our passage invited us to think about the patience and the mercy of Christ. And this table is a picture of that mercy. It's a reminder that in God's mercy to the Ninevites, his mercy to us in Christ, it doesn't mean a disregarding of our sin. It's not saying that our, our violence didn't really matter, but rather God bearing it on our behalf. Him taking our misdeeds in the ways that we have been mistreated onto himself, suffering that he would bring forth new life. And so this table reminds us of that, in, an invitation to sinners to come gather around Christ's broken body and shed blood, that we may know the mercy of God. This is the good news. And if you are a follower of Christ and know this mercy, then let this be a time of refreshing and encouragement. If you're not a follower of Christ, I pray that this table would be a witness to who God is and his mercy towards you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, these things that we can see and hold and taste that speak about you and your kingdom. 
Let us know your mercy this day. Let us hear your call and let us find rest and hope in you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, I invite you to stand with me that we can respond to this table with prayer and song and giving thanks to God. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us that love is shown by serving others. Give us wisdom and courage to tell our neighbors about your death and resurrection and give us grace to love and serve even those with whom we disagree. Help us to trust your promise to make all things new as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Gracious God, you give, we give you thanks for the light of love around us and the fire of faith within us. As we go forth from this place, let our lives reflect the one who is the image of your glory, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Well, before singing the doxology, I invite you to respond to God's generosity by giving to the work of the church. You can do so in the offering plates in the back or to the church's website. Let us now sing a doxology in response to our good God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Before receiving God's blessing, just a reminder that there is youth group today for all students are invited at 11 o'clock at the community space over at Rockwell. And I receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>